Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Pastor, how are you tonight? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing, Will? Doing well, thank you. Starting to warm up here in Florida again. It's been an unusually cold winter down here. I, I know I can't complain no. <laughs> compared to how it is in Ottawa, but we've had a couple of hard freezes, which is unusual. Um, but we're back up to 80 degrees today. So. Yeah, we're we're actually above freezing today, and we're going to get some rain, and then it's going to turn to snow, and then we're going to get lots of snow over the next couple oh, of days. So. That's okay. It's February and autumn. What do you, what do you want, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're back with another episode tonight. It's um, kind of a busy week from the church calendar standpoint. We had uh, Valentine's Day, which uh, is, in fact, a liturgical commemoration. Uh, it's the Feast of St. Saint, Saint Valentine, even though uh, it's not typically commemorated that way anymore. No, it's uh, been... It's been uh... It's been taken over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. As many of our holidays have in some sense. Yeah. But uh, uh, then today, uh, the Lutheran Church commemorates uh, Melanchthon. And then on Friday, uh, we commemorate uh, Martin Luther. So uh, a lot going on this week. And we'll say a bit more about Luther's commemoration at the end of the broadcast. Uh, but today, we're going to focus on uh, the gospel reading appointed for this uh, or last Sunday, uh, according to the the one year lectionary, with it, which is um, Matthew twenty uh, verses one through sixteen, right? The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Yes, and uh, there's a lot going on in this parable. There's a lot to talk about, but before we do that, uh, it, it might be good to just kind of give us some context for this parable. Uh, especially uh, perhaps we can read the verses leading up to the parable and that'll give us some idea of what's happening here. Yeah, I, th I think we should do that. And with, with any parable, um, you can really get lost in the weeds mm -hmm. and you can forget, you don't see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. Why is that birch tree in this oak forest? And you can spend your life looking at that birch tree and not see the forest. And, and we'll try... To view things properly tonight, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. and that, that's what we've talked about when we've discussed parables here before. And the tricky thing about the parables is finding the the point of comparison, right? Uh, so there's always one element of the parable we're intended to focus on and kind of draw our main conclusions from. But then there are these other story elements that may or may not represent something that Jesus was was trying to communicate. Right. We've talked about how some of the church fathers in the past have really gone wild trying to draw different points of comparison from story elements that uh, perhaps weren't intended by Jesus. And um, so tonight we'll try to avoid that and, and we'll do our best to uh, draw we'll out the main point of this parable. We'll fail a little bit at that. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, but but it, that's what makes the parable so interesting because there, there, there are so many details mm -hmm. and there's so many points that we can look at and say, oh yeah, well think about that and think about that. And, and 
the big thing for us, the goal is to understand, well, what's the one big major point of the parable? What's Jesus trying right. to teach us? Right. What's yeah, the, us? the temptation is to get bogged down in the details, but we should be looking for the one main takeaway that's trying to be communicated in all these parables, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's back up a little bit into Matthew 19. Okay. And this is the little children. Then children, and we're going to read through uh, chapter 19, starting at verse 30, 13 till its end, and then jump into chapter 20 of Matthew, which is what we're discussing and looking at in more in depth tonight. So I'm just going Sounds to read good. through these to sort of build the background. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And in Matthew 19, starting verse 16, And behold, a man, this is the, the rich young ruler, rich young man. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And verse 23, and following, talking to his disciples. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, just that verse 30, the section of Matthew 20 that we're going to read ends with a similar phrase. The words are a little different order, but the same idea. Hence, it's in bold, just to make you think about it. But many mm -hmm. who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, should we read our section for tonight? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay. Matthew 20, 1 to 16. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, 
Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Excellent. Here ends our reading. Perfect. Um, Maybe let's talk a bit about the context first here. So we read in Matthew 19, uh, Jesus talks about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And then Peter asked this question, well, we've left everything. So what are we going to have? And uh, you think back to some of the harsh rebukes that Jesus has given in our previous week's readings. You think back to the wedding of Cana where he rebuked his mother and said, woman, no, it's not my time yet. And then the confession of Peter uh, just a couple of weeks ago, where he said, get behind me, Satan. And now, and don't forget in, trans, Transfiguration, where where basically Peter gets rebuked by God the Father. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Peter's getting rebuked by everyone. Yeah. And then he says something in uh, chapter 19 that when I hear it, it seems like it might warrant a rebuke, right? He asks, well, we've done all the, we've left everything. So what are we going to have for this? And man, you kind of expect Jesus to, just kind of give him the smack down there for a question like that yeah. because it, it seems like he's asking what sort of reward they're going to get for these good things they've done on account of Christ. And isn't that exactly what those workers here at the last line here, then Peter said, reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Yes. And isn't that Ex- what the workers in the vineyard were, were basically debating or, engaging in exactly so in 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 some sense is this parable uh do you see it as a rebuke to peter's question now now it's interesting here because jesus um tells them what they'll have for doing this and they're they're good things he he doesn't immediately rebuke him for asking that question he he says they'll be rewarded hundredfold uh for doing these things but then he also launches into this parable right so you get this idea this these words from jesus that you'll sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me. Everyone who's left houses, brothers, etc., uh, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Mm-hmm. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And then you get this parable. So mm-hmm. rebuke or response. And I it, I think it's an, an, let's call it an illustrative response. How's that? Okay. Okay. All right. It's supposed to illuminate things for Peter and others who are listening. Okay. It's a kingdom parable. All right. Uh, okay. Fair enough. So um, let's talk about some of the, the points here before we start talking about, you know, what's the main takeaway. Uh, first of all, in verse two, um, a denarius, perhaps it'd be helpful to talk about what sort of wage that is. Right. You know, I can talk about a Canadian dollar this year 
and what it's worth compared to last year. Mm -hmm. And it's worth a lot less. (laughs) (laughs) Inflation has been bad. So, but let's just think, remember, Denarius was basically a day's wage. That's the point. Okay. So when he negotiate after agreeing with the laborers, okay, so there's, there's discussion there after agreeing with them, they agree on the normal day laborers wage. So it's a fair price. It's a, a typical negotiation and yeah, yeah, they're going to get Min- what's due to them. Minimum wage for eight, nine hours, whatever. Ten hours. Okay. Okay. Okay, great. And then, um, so after he hires this initial set of laborers, he goes into the marketplace at different times of the day and hires people, uh, throughout the day, all the way up to the 11th hour. And, um, it's interesting. Maybe we can take a look at, uh, verse seven here. Um, when the landowner asked, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, uh, because no one has hired us. Um, do you see any significance in, in that response? Uh, what is trying to be communicated here? Well, the, the big picture of the parable is that certain people did more than others. Hmm. That's one facet of the big picture. So if you want to really narrow down on these folks, it's not the landowner's fault that they weren't hired because he went out numerous times during the day. Mm, right. Okay. So right. if there's going to be any, any wrong behavior, it's on behalf of these workers who did not make themselves available or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you kind of have to build this into the parable to get to the point that those who didn't work as much got the same reward. Right. Okay. So somehow you have to, there has to be a reason why, why they didn't work all day. And well, no one's hired us. No one's called us. No one gave us a job. Well, sure. We can speculate. Did they not make themselves available? Did they sleep in? Were they out partying with their friends too late? I mean, you know, you can, you can go on forever. It just, it didn't happen. Right. These guys got called in later. So maybe it would be helpful to talk about the main point of the parable first, and then, uh, we can go back and kind of see how everything lines up here. Sure. So, uh, right. So we talked about this point being that, uh, according to human standards, the workers seem to have been paid unfairly, right? The people who worked for a day's wages worked the whole day, but then you have people being hired or be invited to come and, and work at the end of the day who only worked a few hours and they end up getting the same wage as the people who had been there the entire day. Yeah. Uh, what is ultimately being communicated here? So some people like to look at the denarius, this wage that everybody gets as just being a benefit of being in God's church, mm-hmm. that there's friends, there's comfort, there's opportunities, there's relational building, things like that. And that's okay. But I, I think at some level, at some level, we have to think about the parable of the prodigal son. Okay. Who, what does motivate him to go home is his empty grumbling stomach. Mm-hmm. You know, looking at the, the swill that he was feeding the, the hogs, he, he goes home. And, and, and the father in that parable does give him the, the cloak, the ring, the shoes. And, and the, the signet ring was basically a, you can think of it sort of like a credit card. It was, it would give him the ability to run up credit and deal with merchants. And, and it was the seal of the, of the household. Hmm. 
So he was given material benefits returning home. So working in the vineyard, yes, these people get material benefits. And if, if we want to relate it to something in the church, is it just the benefits of being, you know, just that we all get hmm. being in, in the church, um, friendship, relationships, comfort, things like that, that, that maybe they are a bit temporal. Hmm. So, um, so we could say in some sense, the denarius are, are the benefits we get, uh, in this life for going to church, being a Christian, perhaps living virtuously. I mean, there are certain, um, there are certain benefits that we get from doing good things and, uh, you know, living a virtuous life, uh, that we get right now that aren't eternal benefits. And yeah. so, and, and that may be the, that may be the point of the denarius. What we have to avoid is making the denarius the gift of heaven. Okay. Cause see, I think this is how I've always interpreted it growing up to me, hearing this growing up in church, I interpreted this as a parable of, um, kind of speaking against the idea that it's wrong to feel that it's unfair that people who came to Christ much later in life are getting the same reward as the people who have been Christians their entire life. So you hear of like, uh, like the thief on the cross, for instance. So, uh, the thief could have lived a life of debauchery. Well, he apparently, appeared to apparently <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. So. If he's a thief, assuming he was justly convicted, uh, yeah, perhaps a thug uh, um, wasn't well, he, abiding he by say, the law. He did say, "We are getting what we justly deserve." That's right. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, he acknowledges his guilt, his sin, uh, turns to have turns, listens to Christ's words, turns to Christ, and asks him to remember him. Jesus promises me will. So is that fair? Like he was only, you know, a Christian for, I don't know, maybe a half hour, maybe not. Right. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to the same heaven that I'll be going when I, when I die and I've been yeah. a Christian my whole life. And that's uh, not, that's not fair. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's hard to be a Christian. And some of these people are getting off easy uh, be, by converting right before they die and they don't have to go through all the, the yeah. hard work of being a, a Christian. So, let's so read... I've always in interpreted this parable as railing against that sort of idea that it's, it's unfair for God to extend the same reward uh, to these people than to people who have been working at it their whole life. Um, so but let me, let me just pause a second because you used a few negatives in there and stuff. So you felt that this parable was teaching you that it's not fair for people to come in at the end? No, that it's wrong to think that it is unfair for people to come in at the end because God can do whatever he wants. Okay. Right? He's not acting unjustly by saving people on their deathbed. He's not doing any any injury to the people who have been trying to live a Christian life for their, their whole lives. Um, there's no injustice there. That's what I imagined this parable uh, to be trying to communicate. And, and, and at, at some, in some big way, I, I think it is trying to communicate that, you know, there's, there's hope for us even at the end of our lives. Mm-hmm when the master calls us. Mm -hmm. And so now here's, here's the interesting point. The workers in the parable, they talk about bearing the heat of the day and doing all the work. Well, if we're in Christ and in his church and we're doing work for him, is it that horrendous? 
<laughs> no, no. Has it's it just not. been? Is is it just? Oh, poor miserable me. I'm a Christian. <laughs> no, no, no. Of course. So not. it doesn't. It doesn't quite work, does it? No, but but I mean, there are people who uh, suffer from serious forms of temptation that are burdened by the fact that they're not allowed to do certain things uh, because they're prohibited by the Bible. So you you think of people who are struggling with things like sexual immorality, like that's a real temptation, and that's not something that the world sees as inherently wrong. No, and someone living in the trenches of temptation like that, they do see it as at least a struggle. And so, um, you know, okay, no, someone who lives right. like that their 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 whole life, their whole life, they struggle, and 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 it, God's uh, timing is and His framework is always suffering than glory, right? Right. So right. being a Christian isn't isn't a walk in the park. Right. But spiritually, we have that comfort. We have that blessing. So that that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in some way, sure, okay, we can talk about bearing the heat of the day and all that. But but see, here's the point again. At verse 13, the bottom of the of the page. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. And that's the that I think is the the main the main point. Now we really have to think for a minute here. It's it seems from my perspective that Jesus phrasing our relationship within the work context is it 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 kind of goes against the idea of grace in a way, doesn't it? It it does. Yeah. Let, we, can, we, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. We we want to avoid the idea that we're believing and putting our trust in Christ for the sake of earning a reward. Uh we shouldn't be doing that. Uh like that that's not the point of the Christian life to to earn a reward at the end. No, but but we can say we put our trust in Christ in order to get the reward. <laughs> yeah uh we have an expectation right um but we don't want it to be transactional in that way that if we do x we earn y no see so what i'm saying yeah why not so sorry <laughs> so romans 4 let's look at this this clarifies it to get us out of that mindset okay now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due and to the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Mm -hmm. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Okay, now if we do back up, it's rather fascinating in verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. This is work for a wage. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. They're going, to, they're going to do something, and they're going to get compensated for it. This is a transaction. Mm -hmm. It's a business deal. Right. So that kind of throws us off a little bit. It does. Until... Verse four or verse three, well, verse four, 
Um, and to them, to the, okay, I have to start at verse three. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing out in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. There's no bargaining here, is there? Mm-hmm. Right. There's right. no, if you do this, then I'll do that. It's, hey, come work and and, and we'll make it right. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a rather vague promise. Right. From the landowner. So, yeah, that's right. So how can we look at, well, how can we look at this parable in light of those ideas after agreeing with the laborers for denarius and then the other one's just being called to work? Is this part of the point of this? It it probably is. And if we go, if we skip ahead a bit, I think the ending of the parable gives us some clues as well. Uh, so in verse 14, he tells the original workers who had agreed and and had had this contract, take what belongs to you and go. Uh, I choose to give this last workers I give to you. Um, the first ones were like, it seems like they're like kicked out, right? They, they got what they earned and now they're leaving. Yeah, and it's interesting that 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 it, he has the steward call those hired last, has them called first. How can I say that? The ones that were hired last were called first to receive their wage. Right. So that the ones who were hired first were forced to witness what those hired last were giving. giving. Yeah, that's right. That's Please right. don't ask don't ask me to repeat that. <laughs> this all could have been avoided if the first laborers were paid first and they could have just been on their way and there they wouldn't would have, have been any conflict. Right. They would have taken their money and gone. Mm-hmm. But because the way he had this, his steward hand out the money, those hired first saw this and then they get this hope, this expectation. Well, we've been working all day. We're going to get more. Mm-hmm. But then their hopes are dashed. So... And then the whole idea of the landowner saying, am I not allowed, well, am I not allowed to do what I choose, what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Mm-hmm. And that again reminds us of the parable of the prodigal son, where the where the older son is uh, grumbling about the younger son getting the fat, fat calf, the party, the, all that stuff. Right. This is exactly like them. Right. Or right. the, the older sons, just like these workers who in, who had a transaction agreed on, and the landowner f- fulfilled his requirement, and they're not happy. Hmm. Because why are they not happy? Because they thought they deserved more. Yeah, yeah. As 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 the other ones are being paid, they started to think they deserved more, didn't they? Yeah. But yep. in reality. In reality, it didn't. Right. So what is it then? Well, so that's why you mentioned then that the denarius shouldn't be seen as salvation or the kingdom of heaven, right? right? Because um, it's it's Christianity isn't transactional in that way. We're, we're not working to earn a reward. No, that's this verse again. Now the one who works his wage are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Mm-hmm. But the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Right. So, one thought, you do not work to earn a wage. You work because the master calls you. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And the ones who were working for a wage, they weren't happy. Yeah, and, that's right. And that was part of Peter's expectation. Well, look at all we're doing for you, Lord. What do we get? Right. Well, you're going to spend a blessed eternity sitting at my table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want? Right. But it's, right. Hard to, it's hard for us human beings to get out of this, you know, if I do this for you, you do this for me, right? Yeah, it it's is. It's hard for us, God. It is. So right. again, there's really two religions in the world. One is that we do works to earn God's favor and hope we do enough, which we know we can never do enough. Mm. That's one religion. The other religion is, wow. God is gracious and forgives us and just freely, freely gives us the blessings that we don't deserve. Right. That's right. And that I think is the point of the parable that it's not a deal we engage in with God, but it's God calling us and loving us and being gracious to us with those things that belong to him. Right. No, I, I think that's exactly right. And in our, other reading appointed for today. Um, it's a, a Martin Luther reading, so fitting since we're observing uh, his commemoration on Friday. But he kind of offers his own interpretation of Matthew 20 in this sermon. And I think he's getting at, you know, more or less what we just said. So perhaps now would be a good time to, to read that. Yeah, let me reread verse 16 first, though, okay? Sure. Just to put that deep into our minds. So the last will be first and the first last. And what Jesus is saying in this and the, and the, the way he phrased it earlier in chapter 19 is that, you know, God doesn't do things the way we think things should be done, nor mm -hmm. does God do things the way we think that God should do things. Right. Because right. We, we are, I think, transactional by nature. We look at cause and effect. We look at I do something, something good happens, or I do something bad and something bad happens, all that stuff. Right. And Jesus turns all of that onto its head, and that's confounding to us in, until the Spirit enlightens us to the point where we start to get it. That, okay, God's ways are not our ways. Yeah, exactly. Fortunately, right. fortunately, God's ways are not our ways. Indeed. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to... Um, Read that Luther reading. Yes. Yeah, Great. Go ahead and Thank read you. It. Now in this way, Christ strikes a blow first against the presumption, as he also does in today's epistle, epistle, of those who would storm their way into heaven by their good works, as the Jews did and wished to be next to God, as hitherto our own clergy have done also. These all labor for a definite wage, that is, they take the law of God in no other sense than they should fulfill it by certain defined works for a specified reward, and they never un understand it correctly, and know not that before God all is pure grace. This signifies that they hire themselves out for wages and agree with the householder for a penny a day. Consequently, their lives are bitter, and they lead a career that is indeed hard. Now when the gospel comes and makes all alike, Paul teaches in Romans 3.23, so that they who have done great works are no more than public sinners and must also become sinners and tolerate the saying, all have sinned, and that no one is justified before God by his works. 
Then they look around and despise those who have done nothing at all, while their great worry and labor avail no more than such idleness and reckless living. Then they murmur against the householder. They imagine it is not right. They blaspheme the gospel and become hardened in their ways. Then they lose the favor and grace of God and are obliged to take their temporal reward and trot from him with their penny and be condemned. For they served not for the sake of mercy, but for the sake of reward, and they will receive that and nothing more. The others, however, must confess they have merited neither the penny nor the grace, but more is given to them than they have ever thought was promised to them. These remained in grace and beside were saved, and besides this, here in time they had enough. For all depend upon the good pleasure of the householder. All That's very good. On, yeah, all depend on the good pleasure of the householder. Yes. We depend upon God's grace. Yes. That's a good good quote. Good quote from Luther from one it of is. his sermons on this text. There, in Aramis, there was a suggested psalm for today. Um, can we read that? We have time for that? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are, in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Here ends our psalm. Very good. Will, do you have a, a collect for us today? I do. Um, I'll use the collect from Aramus for uh, Friday, the commemoration of, of Martin Luther. It, it is appropriate since, uh, you know, today's parable talking against this um, transactional view of Christianity, which I would say is more prevalent in Luther's day and one of the, the things he was reacting against. Yeah, and I so, would say, I would say in, in, in so many ways it was, I mean, it was the whole prevalent thought in Luther's day, but it's still prevalent today mm -hmm. when people think that if they behave a certain way or get a certain sin out of their life that God will then bless them, whether it's materially or spiritually or, or relationally or occupationally. Like a lot of Christian people still think that way, that they have to do things to sort of earn God's favor to get even temporal blessings. No, that, that's a great point. And in some ways uh, that what's called the prosperity gospel is more pro prevalent today than ever before. You, you see right. a lot of televangelists preaching this sort of thing, and um, a lot of them have huge mega churches with thousands of people in attendance on any given Sunday. It's, a, yeah. it's an attractive idea to our human nature. And it is. And, and, and part of the problem there might be that people think they can engage in some bartering or bargaining or transactional debate with God. Mm -hmm. Maybe not for eternity, but for here and now. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll go back to what I said earlier, God's, God's schema, God's framework, God's timeline is always suffering, then glory. Right. Which goes against the prosperity gospel 
And I'd be careful talking about TV preachers because some people are probably watching us on T their TVs right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're the new TV preachers. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. You have a collect? Yes. Okay. If you'd be so kind. Sure. Oh God, our refuge and our strength. You raised up your servant, Martin Luther, to reform and renew, renew your church in the light of your word. Defend and purify the church in our own day and grant that, through faith, we may boldly proclaim the riches of your grace, which you have made known in Jesus Christ, our Savior, Savior who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. 